This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Hone your development skills at learn.thoughtbot.com. Hey, everybody. We have uh, that. <laughs> Solid start. Good. Had to get that out of Good. Print. Post. <laughs> Hey everybody, this is Gordon. Mark here. Tony. This is Keith. And this is Build Phase. So we're here in San Francisco. Uh, It's the final day of WWDC 2014. Uh, We've been basically holed up in this room watching session videos all week, because none of us got into the conference itself. Uh, And we wanted to wrap up the conference by just having like a little roundtable discussion about our thoughts. So what are you uh, takeaways from this week? How do you guys feel? Apple got a sense of humor. Yeah. They're funny now. Yeah. That's it. No, 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 no. Yeah, the, the keynote specifically like had a much different feel to to it, right? It was it felt light and confident and playful and, and yeah. the Steve Jobs keynotes were always very official, like were great, but were always, you know, very official, very straight faced, very uh, It felt rigid. Like time yeah. to the minute. Yeah, yeah. You think they did that just because so many people do keynotes now that it's like sitting in a room for two hours can be really boring otherwise? I mean, obviously with them, they have a little bit more to announce than most people do. But, you know, a lot of people really talk bad about, like when Samsung does a keynote, it's just not particularly interesting, but it's like three hours long. And but crazy. the difference is that Samsung's keynotes are just sometimes awkward and mm-hmm. painful to watch. <laughs> and Apple had their fair share of awkward sketches, like yeah, the bit with right. Greg's hair it was just that backstage. <laughs> right. It's a little cringeworthy. Right. It seems in general like Apple's starting to change, right? Because not only that, Absolutely. but all the openness that we're now allowed Absolutely. this yeah. year, like yeah. that was huge. Yeah, yeah. the NDA it, being lifted, the uh, Swift book being open, <clears throat> the, the Swift book, yeah, being launched on day one in iBooks. Uh, like, it, yeah, it all feels like a shift is happening for the better. It feels like yeah. they're finally out of the shadow of Steve Jobs, and that all yeah. the executives have come into their own now, and they feel comfortable driving Apple forward. You know, and, and we're probably finally getting to the things where some of these projects or things we're seeing now were started after the death of Steve Jobs. We're starting to see things that he didn't know you think so? or didn't have a hand in. He must have known about Swift. Um, Two years well, ago? Three years ago? It's going to be three years in October. So he had to have known about Swift. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, you could say that large parts of iOS 8, maybe at a high, yeah. vague level. Yeah. You know. And arguably, these are some of the best changes to happen in the platform in years, right? The extension yeah. stuff and the handoff stuff, specifically. Those two, those are two huge, huge changes that completely change the way apps can work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the backgrounding stuff, the open opening the backgrounding stuff from a few years ago, that changed a lot. But interaction between apps is something we've been asking for for freaking seven years now. You know? Yeah, they obviously spent a lot more time on the backend stuff, which is nice that they didn't. I mean, obviously they were going to do another UI overhaul like a year later, but yeah, that's that, really nice. Yeah, it was weird putting iOS eight on my phone and just being like, "Oh, right, this just looks exactly like iOS 7. Like, there's no, you know, like <laughs> yeah. when I put iOS seven on my phone, it was like two weeks of just trying to get to get used to that, you know. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, like, I'm back to putting betas on my phone and being able to kind of hide that they're the beta software. Yeah. Thinking back to the API diffs of last year, it really looks like everything wasn't just support of the new design. And so you realize that maybe 80% of the engineering team has had really two years Mm -hmm. to work on iOS 8, which explains 4,000 new APIs as Mm -hmm. opposed to the usual 1,500. Yeah, 1,500. Seems like this year, too, there was a big focus on making developers' lives better. 
you know? Yeah, very much so. And, and, it, and it goes along with, like, last year's Mavericks, yep. OS ten nine, where that was a weird release because so many of those features were power user features, not consumer features. Like, my mom couldn't give a shit less about most of the features in, in Mavericks. Like, right. Finder mul- tabs. Finder tabs, multiple full-screen applications. Like, whatever. Who cares? <laughs> but... We cared about those things, you know what I mean? We wanted those things. And last year, all of a sudden, we get all these power user features for OS X that make OS X better for not my mom, but for me. And then this year, like, the big, big change, right? Swift, like, that is just purely about developers, you know what I mean? Like, I told my wife about it. I said, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, like, that's the first thing that I said, right? She asked me how the keynote was, and I was like, they announced a new program. Like, that's the most important thing to me. It's like, there's there's a new freaking programming language. And she was like, oh, man, why'd they do that? Like, <laughs> she doesn't care. She, doesn't, she has no interest in them changing the programming language. And it's just like... It's huge for us. It's huge for us. I mean, it changes yeah. our entire job completely. Yeah, but it doesn't change the end result, right? It has absolutely no bearing on maybe fewer bugs because right. of the type system. But my wife is not going to be like... This is a Swift app. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I told my girlfriend the same thing, but her response was, holy shit, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> no, I need to lay down. <laughs> yeah, that's the big, I mean, you, you know, there are those big, the, the other big changes, the extension stuff and the um, yeah. handoff stuff, or the continuity, they're calling it, right? right. Which is weird. They keep calling they're like calling it continuity as like a overarching thing, but then they kept calling the specific technology handoff, but then... The actual class is NS user activity, and it's like, pick one. <laughs> There's three different things here. But that stuff's great, and that's going to add really cool features, and I'm super excited to see what people do with that. But that's it, right? For, for the most part, those are the big high-level features, and again, those feel more like power user features than just casual consumer features. Right, I think that everyone will be impacted by at least the extension stuff. Extension oh, yeah. stuff for yeah. sure. Yeah, because it's like you know a lot of people know about Google Maps and preferring that, whether or not that's warranted, and they want to say like I want to open this link in Google Maps, right. and that's something that could be enabled as an extension. Right, as or like, the one password thing. That's a huge thing. Yeah. And apparently, they have you know tons of uh, well, customers. Or if this will bring default. I mean, it seems like that was something they were leaning yeah. towards. Whether or not they're going to do that, I guess it's still you know, yeah. You're talking, that adds a lot of complexity. Right? Yeah, yeah. Just like like once you install an app, like now you're able to register for these types. Could you potentially say like I'm registering for these types, and oh by the way, like present a thing for the user, and they say yes, I would be like to be the default web browser. Right mm-hmm. now, anytime you click a link, it'll open in Chrome instead of Safari. Mm-hmm. Yes, I would like to be the default mail client. Now you click a mail to link in Safari and it opens in Google in Google Map. Or, well, it wouldn't open in Google Maps everywhere, but in, in Gmail, right? That'd be awesome. I mean, they have all the groundwork for that with the types and then with like data detectors, you know this is a phone number or this is a yeah. like an, an address for yeah. the Maps thing specifically. Right, exactly. They have yeah. all that if they wanted to do that in the future. Yeah, it seems like a smaller jump now than it was before, where before the extensions activities in place, there's no way to even figure out how that would even work. You know what I mean? Right. How, how would you register a default mail client? Yeah. I find in Android that stuff gets really complicated. It does. Where you, you're trying to open a camera app from the home screen, and before you can open the camera app, what you're trying to do quickly, it says, 
if you haven't set the default already, you just installed a new camera app. It says, which one would you like to use? And then it just gets kind of yeah, a, a little overwhelming. Yeah, I think it can be. I think that's a fear. But then I think you just have to let users be self-policing. Right? Yeah. Like, I'm not going to sit around and have a million extensions able to handle Twitter links. It's not going to happen. That will annoy me. I will uninstall the apps that are just noise at that point. Right. So, I mean, I'm just thinking if you install, like, if you have Twitterific and TweetBot and then something else installed. I, I mean, once you set the default, it doesn't really matter. But I think we have permissions to everything on that kind of stuff. We can say which ones we want in our choosers and which ones we don't. Think so? Yeah, they were saying that we had permissions on, like, very individual, specific permissions. They didn't really give an example, so who knows hmm. if we actually do. But from what I understand is that somewhere in the settings we'll have the ability to turn off every app's access to being an extension or not. That makes sense. That's, that goes along with the thing they said in the keynote or something where they had a unified settings view for user settings and notification settings. Right. Just shove extension settings in there, too, and right. then you can go to one place for all of them. Right. Do you think the ability to set a default app on iOS is kind of at odds with their strategy on OS X, where you can already have, you know, like a default browser, but Mm -hmm. look what they're doing with Spotlight. Everything that they changed about Spotlight this year was keeping you from going to Google.com and typing your searches in there. Mm -hmm. Like, they're trying to cut out the search middleman Mm -hmm. and get you straight to your content faster. Is that to keep Google out or simply, you know, in the vein of a better user experience for their users. I, I, I'm more optimistic about that than probably a lot of people are in terms of Apple. But I do think the primary goal there is almost, I'd assume the primary goal is almost definitely to improve the user's experience. And then, hey, we get to subvert Google. That's not a bad extra bonus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it also yeah. looks almost exactly like Alfred now. Yeah, I was saying during the keynote that I was wondering, I was hoping it was extensible. Like, I want to be able to add onto Spotlight to make it do things that Alfred can do. I feel like if they added that, we probably would have known, though. I know they didn't add that. Yeah, I'm just yeah. saying that I want I want it to be accessible. Right, I've right. turned off Spotlight for uh, seven or eight years at this point. Like, I've just literally, I just don't use Spotlight. I remove the keyboard shortcut from the keyboard settings, and I use Bartender to remove the icon from my menu bar. So I do not use Spotlight unless I'm on someone else's computer and I need to get something like launch an app, and I just don't know how to launch apps without the keyboard at this point. Uh, so I need, you know, that's the only time I use Spotlight. But I would switch back to Spotlight because that thing was freaking gorgeous. I would switch back to Spotlight if it let me do not everything, but if it gave me some of the same power that Alfred does. Right. Like, I would install another app that would let me do clipboard history, which is something I use Alfred for a lot. Like, I'd be okay installing another app to do that because I don't expect Spotlight to do that for me. But um, driving that my machine with my keyboard is very important. And so I need more extensibility and more customizations to Spotlight to be able mm-hmm. to use it full-time instead of Alfred. So I don't think Alfred's in a bad spot, you know. No, no, no. Or LaunchBar. It just M- looks similar. I would definitely say the functionality is still with yeah. Alfred. Mm-hmm. Probably most importantly is that Spotlight won't get you to your GIFs yep. as yeah. fast as Alfred. That's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. If I could write a GIF filter plugin for Spotlight, I, that would be a big step in me moving over. <laughs> but I can't. I really liked the App Store integration because I had installed uh, Yosemite Clean, mm-hmm. and I sit there and I'm like, oh, one password. I start typing it in and I see, oh, one password on the App Store. That's right. I need to download this. Yeah. Like hit enter in one click and it's downloading. Nice. I thought that was That's great. cool. 
And there's no one else who can integrate that in, like, right. I don't think Al- Alfred could jump on that train of integrating that same stuff. I th- right. think there's not, a, it's not an official web API, but I think there is a way to scrape the App Store hmm. and get a list of things. But can you there's launch the App Store? To Apple that script? specific link, too? Oh, Apple Script, yeah. Do they have an Apple Script dictionary for that? I mean, it's all just a web view. That would be... No, but you, but you could do tell application... App Store to activate. Uh, but it wouldn't That'll get you to open it. Password. But it right. might not, no. I don't know. Hmm. But you could launch a ITMS whatever mm. URL scheme from Alfred. That would get you there, theoretically. Or at least get you with the search populated. I'm sure you could populate a search from the URL scheme. Yeah. So let's stop beating around the bush and just get to Swift. Yeah. Because that's what I was people about, really want yeah, to hear I was about. about that too. What's the greatest advancement over Objective-C in Swift? Type system. Type system, for sure. Yeah. Having an actual type system. You know what I mean? We had a type system in Objective-C, but, you know, it was all just kind of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I promise you this is this thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that leads... So, so as long as you don't do anything weird, you are generally pretty safe in terms of runtime errors at that level of things, you know what I mean? But then if you do start coercing one object into another type, it became very, very easy to have that propagate. And so you can't do that now. And that's huge, right? You can't say... You could use any and any object, and that would stand in for, like, ID. I'm saying, you know, you could. But even if you do that, you can't ever cast it back to something that it's not. I don't think so, right? You can try. You can, yeah, you could you force can, it, try but then and get it would an runtime error. You can try. You, you can do the bang, and that'll be a runtime error. Right. You can, Sorry, so you can say as question mark what you're trying to cast it to? Right. And right. an if let? Right, but that's, that's different. Casting it to an optional is different than saying, I promise you this thing is this class, and then having it just work, which I guess you can do... I don't know. Can you do that? Is there like an as bang that forces a cast? I don't think so, right? They didn't mention that in the same section as that question mark stuff. So yeah. I don't, if there is, I'm, I'm sure there's some way to do it, but you that, can't. It, it won't be acceptable in the general terms of Swift. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying though? It's yeah. like you could take a string, you right. could take an NS string and just cast it as a UI view and then send, send UI view messages to it. The compiler will absolutely let you do that. Objective C, right? In Objective C, right. The compiler will absolutely let, let you do that. You cannot do that same thing in no, Swift. No, I agree. There's no, there's, there's no way to tell the compiler that a string is a view. Right. It's not going to happen. Right. You can tell it it's an optional view. Right. But when it, when it tries to put it in there, when it tries to put in, put in the optional as a view, it won't put it in there. It'll, it'll set it to no. none. Right. It'll be none. Right. So. I think that's huge, right? That type system brings a whole other level of safety. Like, we were playing around with stuff earlier and just noticing how many things are just flat-out compiler errors. I saw very few warnings now. It's Mm -hmm. just all like, nope, can't do this, Mm -hmm. can't do this, can't do this. Not, you know, it's really probably not a great idea for you to do this. Maybe you should do this other thing. Right. You know. I wonder if Prag... No? Well, they don't use Clang, so Pragma Clang... The diagnostic stuff probably won't work That's either. All so, there's, gone. so there's probably no way to turn that off. I'm sure they have I'm, some other yeah. mechanism. I'm sure you could turn that off through the build settings or something. Probably. I mean, but either way, I mean, they added warnings, or it's warnings now for what we tried to get an index out of something with the wrong type of number. Yep. You conforming to a protocol, that's a warning if you don't actually implement right. all the error. methods. Error. Yeah, error. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Error. Yeah. 
that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it should be. Stupid Apple forcing Stupid us to write Apple. safe code. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of jerks. How dare they? <laughs> yeah, that's huge. I, I don't know. I think they freaking nailed it. I really do. Like in retrospect, the past three years are much more interesting because <laughs> in retrospect. All the iterations that they, and I've said this to you guys already, I know, but like all the iterations that they've done on Objective C, you can like look back at all that now and you can be like, oh, this is just where they were going. They just needed to get Objective C up to feature parity with this language that they wanted to use so that you could do the brilliant thing of being able to mix Objective C and Swift inside a single project, which is probably going to be the best thing for adoption. Yep. available, Definitely. right? Because it means that it would be really, really hard for us to bill clients for a Swift app tomorrow. You know what I mean? To say, like, we're going to write this 100% in Swift. You know, it's we're going to be a little slower. We're not as comfortable with the language. There's just stuff there that's going to take us a little longer and possibly not write as good a code, right? Mm-hmm. So if we have thousands of lines that aren't quite up to our, our normal level, we probably shouldn't be billing for that. But it'd be super easy to like take a day and write this one thing, right? This one class that seems like it lends itself very well to like functional paradigm stuff. Writing like a class that fits that paradigm, and then just sticking it in the normal app alongside everything else that we've written the old way. You know, that's really e- that's e- or easier, right? That's mm-hmm. an easier sell, I think. I mean, that's how they had to do it. There are too many developers who have huge code bases that would never convert anything. Right. I mean, you know, if you're going to, like, tell the panic guys to convert Coda to Swift or transmit to Swift. It's just like, we've been working on this app for, you know, 10 years or whatever. That's just not feasible. But you could treat it like legacy code in terms of, like, the Rails guys use the term legacy code when they're referring to code without tests, right? Hmm. And the way you approach that is you're never going to go in and rewrite the application with tests. And you're never going to go in and you're not going to just sit down for a week and just write tests. It's just not a good way to do it. So what you do instead is you just make a pack to test new functionality. And you make a pack to, if you go back and fix bugs, you write tests for the bugs. And so you try to build up a test structure and a test suite through refactors, like, you know, testing, anytime you refactor a thing, you test that, you add tests then, like, only adding tests when you touch a new thing, right? So everything from here on forward, we will put tests around. You could end up doing the same thing with Swift, right? You could end up saying, like, I'm not going to go back and rewrite my whole application to use Swift. That would be a gigantic waste of time. But I can say all new classes are going to use Swift. And you can go back, and when you're refactoring old classes, you can port small, especially smaller classes. If it's a smaller thing, port that over to Swift. You know, definitely. And it's gonna it's gonna boost adoption, I think, because there's, you know, there's not much holding you back from doing that, other than not liking the language for whatever reason. Right. I think it's funny how hot of a topic it was that Objective-C was like an old language or like it, that people wanted change just before this happened. Yeah, yeah. Literally, what, four days ago? Like on Sunday, people were complaining about Objective-C and complaining about specifically Apple, right? That's why I'm saying like in retrospect, the last three years have a much different look to them because for the past, well, I don't know, how long have people been bitching about Objective-C? 10 years? You know what I mean? Like, How long has Objective-C been around? 30. And Syracuse wrote that Copeland 2010 thing in 2005 about how Objective-C was going to eventually be antiquated and need a replacement. And and that they needed to start now. And then he wrote another one, what, two years ago? 
I think he wrote it in 2010. To like because okay. he wrote the original one. Yeah, so three four three four years ago he writes yeah. it. He writes another one right about the same time that they're you yeah. know actually starting Swift. You know, and I've had these thoughts recently. It's like Jesus Christ, am I just going to be an Objective C developer forever? Like this feels weird because it felt like an old system. I love it. I love Objective C, but it has its quirks and it has its legacy baggage to it. You know what I mean? It's like, is this just going to be the way things are forever, or is this ever going to change? And it didn't look like it was going to change because Apple, secrecy and all that crap. But then all of a sudden they drop this and they're like open about the fact that they've been working on it for four years. You know what I mean? They got like, you know, it's the LL, one of the guys from LLVM is the guy that started Swift. And it makes you realize that the whole time, like I can't imagine being an Apple employee who was working on Swift and just had to listen to people bitch about Apple and oh. bitch about Objective-C. You know what I mean? That must have sucked. Yep. To be sitting there being like, you don't understand how hard we're trying at this. Yeah. You know? Good for him. Or them. Yeah. Amazing <laughs> work. Yeah, the, the, the one thing from this year I've felt like is like a lot of people being super appreciative of what Apple has done, you know, this year. What mm-hmm. all the different stuff that they gave yeah. us. Minimal snark this year compared to yeah. past years. Yeah. Very minimal. Even people that are normally horrible, horrible, snark-filled rage creatures. <laughs> right? But normally, even those guys are playing with Swift and are enjoying Swift. And yeah, people are, you know, I've seen some people complaining about, like, operator overloading, but I don't know why. Like The fact know. that we even have it now, like, awesome. Yeah. A lot of that has to be left to community standards like yep. just how in objective c we don't use exceptions i mean right. it's not that we don't have exceptions we just right. don't really use them i mean people have to decide what they want to do for right. the same kind of swift Swiz- swizzling too you know yeah it's like we have yeah. swizzling but you don't see me going around swizzling everything like yeah. that doesn't make sense most of the time that's not the right way to do it you know same thing yeah you think swift swift will affect how we test anything at all i mean obviously yeah. right now it's pretty much the same but once tooling gets built up around swift do you think that that'll affect i do Obviously, I'm pro-tests, <laughs> but I can see needing to test less at this point. If you keep it functional and don't try to subvert the type system by using any or any object and you try to do things the right way, quote-unquote, you know, if you try to do that, then I don't think it's probably not as good as Haskell's type system. I'm not sure, but, like, Haskell has that thing where they say, like, if the program compiles, it works, because the type system is just that good, right? That you can codify so much of your application just in the type system that if the application finishes building properly, then you don't have to worry about those things not working. At least you don't have to worry about it being runtime crashes, right? For the most part, like you have to try very, very hard. There's only like two or three ways where you have to coerce things into a weird pattern in Haskell in order to generate runtime errors, right? I can see some of that in in Swift, you know what I mean? Like, maybe just try, don't use bang, you know what I mean? Like, I know you know it's there, but maybe if you, you know, (laughs) like, I get it, but just maybe don't use bang and use the if let syntax instead so that you can unwrap the optional. I think that's already a good rule. I mean, I've seen tons of runtime crashes just playing around because of bang. I mean, it's just so, and, and it seems like, they really discourage that as well in right. most of their example code, that so, them being Apple. So I think that if you do lean on the compiler, if you do stay inside the type system, if you do let the types and the compiler do its job, I think for the most part we can worry about behavior of methods and functions, not necessarily like 
is this broken? Or even maybe control flow. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe not control flow because we, they do want us to use like switch statements and conditionals and loops and like iterative loops. Whereas in, in Haskell, Haskell you, have you, a lot of that. Uh, you do. You don't, I mean, loops aren't, you don't really you use don't loops do as it. much as you use recursion. Right, right, right. Exactly. But I also think it'd be interesting to try writing stuff in a recursive style. You know what I mean? Write it, write stuff recursively, try to write stuff really more functionally than imperatively, you know, see how far we can get with that. That's one thing that the Haskell type system does better is it can infer type signatures of functions. So if you want to write a complex function that does something recursive, you have to figure out what your signature needs to look like in Swift, whereas in Haskell it can at least kind of like attempt to figure out what you're actually trying to do. That's right. That's kind of nice. Right. I do like that the type signatures of the functions are encoded in their declaration because that was yeah. one thing about, and I, I, I really do enjoy Haskell a lot, but... Like you can infer the types, the type of the function, but you really should be declaring the function, the type of the function explicitly above the function definition. And the interesting thing that you can do in Haskell that you can't do in Swift because of that is then you can have multiple definitions, actual multiple definitions for the function that use pattern matching, right? So we can use pattern matching now inside a case statement, but it's not the same thing as literally saying. This function, if you match it, if the arguments match this pattern, the function definition is this, or the function definition is this, if the arguments match this pattern. That's more powerful than our pattern matching, but at least we have some kind of pattern matching. And in case statements, it is really awesome. Yeah. The, the amount of stuff you can do. With, the switches, being yeah. able to use anything in a switch. And then huge. having values attached to enums and being able to pattern match those in the switch statements. E- enums, I'm, I freaking, I'm in love with the new enum stuff. Like it's, that, it's so nice. So refreshing. And using those to generate monadic kind of values, like the optional, or uh, what's another good one? Um, there's another one that they talked about. The they train use, being on time or delayed? Right, yeah, <laughs> that was a definite, but there's there's another one that's built in, I think. Whatever. But, like, optional. You right. know what I mean? The, the sum or none, and the sum is a value with context. Like, right. being able, bolting that into, not bolting that, but building that into this concept of enums is really freaking powerful, I think. So excited to start using those, too. Me, too. Yeah. What do you think? What's your favorite? I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> I... I so I'm significantly significantly behind you and Keith because I've never really dove into Haskell. Yeah, I think so. I'm it, at a at a more beginner level, but yeah. to me, the ability to define behavior on enums and structs seems super powerful. Yep. I can't quite put it into words yet, but I was kind of telling you the other night that it always seemed like, in a non sort of English language way, I knew that the things I was writing in Objective C were wrong. Right. And seeing what Swift lets me do now, I feel like I can properly express those things in this language. I just did not have the capacity right. to express myself in that way before. Right. Yeah, it's huge. And, and, and you know, Dan Croak, CMO here in San Francisco, is immediately like, well, if you're adding behavior to a struct, should it be a struct? And I think that's kind of an interesting question that we have to worry about now is like, we have these structs and enums and Really, structs and classes, I think, is the way, you know, enums, obviously, like, they have a very specific use case for the most part, you know what I mean? Representing a series of values with or without context. But structs, structs in Swift are so close to classes in Swift. They're they're so close to being the same thing that we have to figure out when do we use one over the other, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and I don't 
feel like we should get bogged down in memory management rules. I, you know, the big difference is that structs are copied when they're passed around and classes are passed by reference. And I think it's worth knowing that, but I don't know that that should be the deciding factor in why we choose one or the other. That feels like letting the implementation detail dictate our architecture. Exactly. So I think that's, that's, that's probably my big question still in terms of the languages. Well, there are these two things, and they're both awesome, but I'm not entirely sure why one is more awesome than the other, other than this one weird rule, Dr. Zatum. <laughs> and that they can't inherit, right, which may or may not Constructs not inherit? I mean, they can conform to protocols. Yeah, but not, they, yeah, they just can't inherit. Which isn't necessarily I'm, I'm, nothing can inherit. From I that. would like to maybe never use inheritance again. I would <laughs> like to see if that's possible. I would like you know if I can if I can only do base classes and protocols. I think I'd be okay with that. Yeah. Um, I was already shying away from that, and now I don't even have to inherit from NS object, and that feels freaking amazing. Yeah. Um, now pushing all that into protocols seems much more natural. They, they were already they were already in that direction. Do you think the NS object protocol? was done specifically so that they could move that protocol into Swift. That's mm. really interesting because I wondered at the time why are you what's doing this? the difference? <laughs> you move it yeah. off of NS object and you put it into a protocol that NS object conforms yeah. to. How long ago was why? that? A few uh, years ago. That was well after they added properties to the language, right? Yeah, this happened in like around the time of Arc? Yeah. Maybe right before Arc? Yeah. iOS four maybe? That's interesting. <laughs> I literally hadn't thought of that until just now. But, like, you look at the protocols in Swift, and there are so friggin' many of them. And there's so many that are built in that, you know, it, feel, it does feel much more like Haskell's type classes. You know what I mean? Just being able to, like, um, what's the printable? Is that yeah. the one with, that has description? Like, that's awesome. I freaking love that. You know what I mean? You just say, like, this thing is printable now, and now that's where the description comes from. Not this weird, like... Until very, very recently, I didn't use, ever use description for basically the two-string concept, right? So, like, in Ruby, every object has a .2s method on it. And you just override that method, and then you say what your object is supposed to look like when it's represented as a string. Theoretically, that's what description's for, right? Description is for that. But something about the name of the method and the fact that it was just kind of there and you just overrode this random method on NS object made me never really think of it in that same way. But the second you take that same method and you move it into a, a it's not even a it's not even a function on printable. It's a, it's, it's a property. Printable just defines a property called description and then you just implement that you just add that property and add a getter for it and tell it how to you know. Yeah. But I love that. I love moving that out into a new thing. What was description used for besides debugging? Because it makes me wonder why also have debug description. You could use, I mean, you could use description for a string interpolation. So if you did NS string string with format, and then you just pass the object in, it would use the object's description as a string, I, okay. as a string format. Right. You know what I mean? So like we have internal projects, like for an office, you could override description so that it just says the name of the office, or you can override a user so the description says first and last name. And then you could use it that way. And then you could use it inside string interpolation. I think debug description was probably the one that we should have been using a lot of the time when instead we used description, but just... I, yeah, I think people definitely did that. Yeah. But again, it's these weird methods that were just sitting on NS object that you had to kind of dig through the headers or the docs to 
You know what I mean? And it's like, who the hell has ever dug through all the docs on NS Object? Like, it's such a heavy class when you start thinking about it, especially now that we can inherit from nothing. Like, <laughs> NS Object is a beast of a freaking class. And like you were saying, like, it's that big because we needed all this C legacy nonsense and Alec in it, and we needed all that stuff to work and get rid of all that, and all of a sudden, who cares, you know? Yeah. The number of times I, mean, I inherited from NS Object just because I needed to be able to instantiate. Like, that's, that was my <laughs> only necessity. I need to be able to create an instance of this. So I guess I'm inheriting from NS Object. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know? I mean, a, a lot of that comes down to generics and overriding operators because you have to be able to bundle that functionality into protocols because you need to be able to say equal, equal to something. Yep. So you can override that, and then or they overrode that, made it a generic function, and now, you know, as long as you conform to equatable, mm-hmm. then you can override that however you want. I mean, yep. since they break all that functionality into generics and operator overloading, that helps a yep. lot. Yep. I don't know if you guys saw, but equals, equals, equals now does what equals equals used to do in, awesome. as point yep. of comparison. Awesome. Because equals equal has been overloaded to is equal. Great. Good. <laughs> yeah. Makes way more sense. <laughs> yep. Yep. I'm Cause, happy. Because how often are you really going to use equals 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 anymore? Right. So what? wait, what does it do? Equals 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 does what equals equals used to do. This is a stupid sentence. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, it just is pointer. Triple, triple equals does pointer comparison. Right. So right. are these literally the same instance and right. the same object on disk? Right. Equals equals now does the same thing that is equals used to do, which is letting you say, here's how these two objects, they may not be the same instance. Strings, two strings. Right. right? I create a string and I create a string. I do equals equals in Objective C. They are not the same string, right? right? Because equals equals is checking object identity. Right. Now they will be what? That, that guy from the Apple Dev Forum oh, yeah. is screaming at yeah. his computer right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> still insisting that <laughs> equals equals does is equal. That was that was the source of a bunch of bugs. You know, what I mean, just absentmindedly tapping double equals into a thing, and then it happens to work for a little while, and then all of a sudden it just blows up. Because right. you get two objects that don't, for whatever reason, maintain have the same space of memory. Right. You know? They're like a lot of, I mean, it's a new language, right? So, of course, they're going to solve as many of the gripes of the old language as possible. And because they were building a new thing, there's no legacy other than the frameworks. There's no legacy in the language. Right. You know what I mean? None. There's no baggage in this language. There's nothing that's like... Oh yeah, well you know we have to do it this way because the the new compiler in 1987 worked this way, <laughs> and you know what I mean it's like there's none of that crap, none of it. New thing, yeah. I like it, and it's going to change or could change between now and fall. How, how old is Haskell, and has the language evolved? A long time. No, I'm sh- it hasn't. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the language itself is. Haskell 95 is the official spec, and it has not changed since then. But Haskell itself is just a reference implementation of a language. Super nerdy. Haskell itself is just a reference implementation. Haskell 95 is just a spec of a language. It's not a language itself. I mean, it is a language itself, but it's, it's not a compiler. There's no implementation of it. It's just a spec of how the language should work. So then you have multiple implementations of the Haskell language, kind of like in Ruby, where you have like JRuby and Ruby, like MRI Ruby and Rubinius. Um, Rubinius. But Ruby has a, has a reference implementation, which is MRI Ruby. 
Pascal doesn't have that reference implementation. Instead, you have like GHCI or GHC. GHC is the the main is the big one, right? Mm-hmm. So GHC, you know, it has all this stuff. It has a REPL. It has all these, you know, a compiler and all, all this stuff to let you actually write Haskell and actually compile Haskell down. And it can iterate. And technically, I think it can add things. But what's important is that it doesn't break things, right? As long as it conforms to the reference standard of Haskell set in 1995 right those that's the official feature list anything else is maybe don't use it or so, do it so with swift do you see apple iterating on this every year or do you think they're going to try to lock it down in the next three months and get it no nope. I, I think they're going to iterate like crazy well at some point they have to just, uh, decide to only add stuff uh, because yes, uh, or not break the backwards compatibility issue breaking stuff has to stop soon you know yeah, i mean they, they can't do that it. Right. But they have said I, that even during this period, they'll maintain binary compatibility. Bi- right. Yeah, right. But if your source is useless in three months, you know. Sure. Yeah. But, but I mean, hopefully they won't change anything too drastically, or they'll yeah. provide tools, like they said, to change anything if they do, and then it won't be a problem. Anyways. I can see them deprecating functions. I can see them deprecating yeah. protocols. I can see them doing all of that. The same, I think the iterations are going to look a lot like the iterations look with Objective-C, right? New language additions, new features in the language. They can add new features to the language and deprecate old features of the language. You know what I mean? They can, like, protected, private, public. Those do not exist in the language yet. There's no concept of that. But they've said, like, that's the top of our list, right? That's We're, we're going to add that, and it'll probably end up being the next three or four months that they add that, hopefully. So I think those kind of things are going to continue outside of this beta period. The only difference is that once the beta period's over, they, they will be maintaining source compatibility. You know what I mean? Like, they're not just going to change stuff so that everybody's app breaks. Right. But that still means they can add stuff whenever they want and make new awesome stuff and you know yeah but i think it'll be a yearly cycle i think it'll yeah. be wwdc every year we'll have new announcements and i mean you know it's not going to be a big section like this but i think we'll have new just the same way that it was like this year we're bringing object literals to objective c you know what i mean right although it's hard for me to immediately and maybe it's just because it's a brand new language but it's hard for me to immediately see what they could add like what I want to know what the low-hanging fruit here is other than protected private public stuff, right? They might, uh, they might start adding things that they see developers making. Like, say, like there's no stack class right now, or oh, generic, yeah, but yeah, if yeah, they yeah. see everyone making one, maybe they'll just add that to the language add by default. Class. Or like you said, they have this bar-bar equal yeah. operator, yeah. right? Maybe if they see people all making these operators to do a certain thing, and it's comes very common, maybe they'll just add... A particular operator as a I, yeah, I can default. see him. I can see him stealing more stuff from like Haskell, like right. like more type classes in Haskell, like either. You know what I mean? Like either is super powerful and is used all the time in Haskell, and it doesn't exist as far as I know. It doesn't exist in the, in the implementation right now, but it's insanely easy to implement. You can implement it in just a few lines because it's just an enum with a right value and a left value, and like that's it. And then that's just semantic pass out. And it's got function definitions for how it should deal with map and all this other crap too, right? But like those kind of higher level function stuff from monads and applicative functors and all this stuff in Haskell that I know these are actual words, but like like all all these things in Haskell that like I can't wrap my brain around yet, and every time I look at it, I'm just like I kind of get it. Like I guess I understand what's going on there, but. All that stuff, bringing that stuff to the language, they could totally do that, where other languages can't, I don't think, move that fast. Right. So you like what you see? 
no real rough edges besides sort of where it meets the frameworks. Because that's my sort of problem with it, is figuring out how to apply this to frameworks that were written with Objective-C in mind. Yeah. It's not exactly elegant. Right. And I said this before, but I think that's a good thing. I think the fact that the framework is the rough edges means that they developed the language in a way that worked as a language and then shoehorned the existing frameworks into it, which is better because if they had built the current language around the existing frameworks, I think what we would have would be much, much different. You know what I mean? It would look different. It would act different because, again, they would pull all this baggage with them at the language level. They would pull all this baggage with them of this is how the frameworks work and this is how they've always worked, so this is how they got to work going forward. Instead, now I could see APIs starting to change. You know what I mean? And maybe all the APIs are deprecated in favor of new APIs that aren't functionally different, but they look better, right? They act slightly different because they make more sense in Swift than they do in Objective-C. But that doesn't mean because of the way it works, there's nothing to say that you couldn't just use those new APIs in Objective-C, but they're going to look ugly, right? Which is another way of them kind of pushing... You know, you can stay in this crusty old language as long as you want, but stuff's going to start to look funky, and it's not going to be the same thing that you're right. used to. To be more concrete, I, I think what you're saying is that like function names will change to sort of accommodate the fact that you don't need to name that first argument. Yep. And if you kind of tweak the the function name, it kind of serves as the that first name parameter that we were typically used to in Objective C. Yeah. I spent ten minutes on Monday wrapping my head around application did finish launching with options declaration in Swift and was just not getting it because I didn't understand <laughs> yeah. you know, that that first argument typically is not needed. Right. So the, everything before the parens should be named nicely so you can infer what that first argument really should be. Right. And if it's not, you can force it, right? Like that's, I mean, that's huge. And I think that's a big, yeah, the, the language is definitely designed to work that way. Forcing the first name parameter as the edge case, right? Like you shouldn't need to do this but in case you do need to name the first parameter inside a just normal function definition, just throw a pound inside of it or in front of it, and you'll be good to go. Right. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for the next four months specifically, like to see what happens with the language over the next four months. But I'm really excited for like the next year. Right. Right. What's going to happen between now and uh, WWC 2015? Hopefully, Swift off. takes off. I hope so. I'm excited for the iPhone six. <laughs> then, I, then I can get a new phone. <laughs> <laughs> This isn't a rumor show, Tony. Damn it. There is no iPhone 6. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, should we wrap up? Yeah. So show notes are going to be found at podcasts.thoughtbot.com slash buildphase slash 41. And if you have any thoughts on what we've been talking about, please email us at buildphase at thoughtbot.com or reach out on app.net or Twitter at buildphase. And as always, ratings and reviews on iTunes are appreciated. All right. Sweet. Thank you, gentlemen. Let's go to a bar. Thanks. Yes. Let's <laughs> drink. <right. laughs>